the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. Do you, do you think people can hear that we're in a different studio today? I, I can hear it. Right? <laughs> can so, you really? Yeah, it sounds different to me. But it's funny because normally you will refer to our other place as like a radio booth. And I'm like, it feels like a bigger room. This feels like a radio booth. <laughs> we are... I don't think I know the difference between booth and studio now that I'm thinking about it. Because a booth feels smaller, right? Like phone booth. Like you're a lot smaller. We should spend the rest of the segment <laughs> talking about booth. Light it up. <laughs> Facebook. <laughs> Text. Hitting all the controversial <laughs> topics. Booth versus studio. Go. <laughs> That's just the sound of people turning off their radios. Like, okay, these guys these guys are unhinged. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. 1160hope.com, plus the show is podcasted. Wherever it is you get your podcast, liking, reviewing, subscribing, all that stuff uh, actually really does help us out. And a, uh, a story that we <laughs> avoided yesterday, we to did. be honest, and uh, we just got too much feedback and too many. I got personal texts, like, really? You're not going to talk about this? You're not going to go <laughs> after this? I'm like, ah. all right. So You're like, I don't want to? Yeah, right. That uh, reluctant disclaimer is uh, what's coming next. So I'll just read you the headline, and I'm going to let you dive in. Yes. Can you just hear the tone of my voice? You're I'm, sad. I'm, I'm like sad and tired and other emotions I can't say on the radio. So here we. So here's the headline from the Christian Post. Mega church founder James McDonald allegedly sought murder for hire, police investigating. <clears throat> Thoughts? Yeah, this is <laughs> turning into... Uh, obviously turning from like just kind of shady to really serious, but it's also just kind of going from ridiculous to the sublime, right? Like you're just like, what? Like I asked you yesterday, I said, what if six months ago I told you you'd be reading this headline? Like you and I were both like, there's nothing you get. And oh, by the way, the man bringing the charges and the man like spearheading the, the uncovering of stuff is a local radio shock jock. (laughs) Right. Right. Who used to go to James McDonald's church and, so it all feels really crazy. So the background of the story is this, and we've all, if you've been with our show at all, you've known kind of the unraveling. Actually, the timing of our show has timed up with the unraveling of Harvest very, uh, very much so. I what, the, what a claim to fame for us. Isn't it? The <laughs> first day, the first segment we did was about this. And so it's gone. Not from, about this. No, but about, no, about Harvest, but about James McDonald. So it's gone from money things to power things to this. So now you're you're at a murder for hire plot. And- we we need to be careful and use the word allegedly here, right? We're learning how to be actual news people or journalists, right? <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> We're going to use the word allegedly here. But the allegation is that on not just one occasion, James McDonald at least floated the idea once to Mancow and once to his bodyguard, to McDonald's bodyguard, uh, could they figure out a way to have somebody killed? I believe one was his son-in-law 
And another one was just a, a somebody that was kind of giving him a hard time, I yeah, guess. Right. Uh, and so uh, at at best, he was joking. At worst, the, he was literally trying to have somebody killed. And, you know, the police are now involved, thankfully, yeah. and are going to try to uncover this. But, man, I, I do feel like you and I, when we read this story yesterday, because it was all just coming out yesterday as well, when we read this story, we both thought to ourselves, I don't want to deal with this. Yeah. Because, right. A, the McDonald's story for me is just getting uh, tired, uh-huh. tiring. And it's easy for me to say I'm not in the middle of it. Right. Uh, but, two, it's also, could this actually be true? Like, yeah. Did this actually happen? And I felt the same things when the Bill Hybel stuff was coming out. Like, is this actually happening? Like, you and I, in some ways, as pastors locally, are like, these are kind of two of the giants. These are two of the giants yeah. here. and. And so it, it appears that, uh, you know, just the more you read the stories, and I'm sorry if some people are insulted by this, the more you just realize James McDonald's not a good guy, mm. just not a good guy, and wonderful preacher, uh, all that kind of stuff, but seems to have been, um, you know, in some ways, to use biblical imagery, a wolf in sheep's clothing for a long time here. And so... Things are coming out. And so part of it is you and I just going, okay, we have to talk about this story just that it's crazy, but also like what's the takeaway? What's our, and and <laughs> is I don't, there, is there a takeaway? Exactly. That's a great point. I don't want to be flipping about it and be like, see, and we need to discuss how how our hidden sins. No, we tried to get somebody killed possibly. Yeah, so right. I don't think there's an apples to apples deal here. <laughs> but I do think here's the question that I would love for, for us to wrestle with a little bit. Like, you used an imagery of a show of a TV show that I think was good that says, I don't think he got to here overnight. Like, I don't think he went from like faithfully preaching the gospel to trying to possibly allegedly having somebody killed overnight. Like, how do you get to that point knowing that you and I will hopefully never get to the point of trying to hire somebody to kill somebody, but there are path sin does have pathways that that become more gradual yeah. it's the old frog in the boiling water right, right it's right, the right. old gradualness and while his may be extreme i do think there are some lessons to be learned yeah the analogy that i've heard a couple people use is the show breaking bad and uh, i know you've not seen it mm-hmm. but i i think breaking bad is is one of the greatest television shows of all time but also super depressing and <laughs> really hard if you watch too much of it at once like you'll like i need to take a shower now or something like that's you know Full disclosure, but that character, though, over the course of this show, you see uh, how he justified these decisions. And the more that you kind of journey with this main character, it's very, very odd that you like empathize with somebody who becomes a, a yep. criminal and yep. you know does ironically uh, have people killed. And I, I that's not a, a great analogy, but it does sort of so it, it shows a little bit of how these things can begin in very small ways and when not dealt with and when systems of accountability are dismantled or are flimsy at best and the less and less people actually have the power and authority to say no to you and all of these things. Like, it's one thing. I feel like the age of just the blatant affair from the megachurch pastor is actually, I think that's going away. I agree. I think it's far more about power and control and unfortunately dollars are almost always tied to that. Yep. And I don't mean to be dystopian, but I feel like if we, if we, and I'm saying big C church, yep. not you and I, not somewhere in Chicagoland, if if we don't take this seriously and not just like, oh man, crazy old James, like no, these are all warning shots because th- this, none of us are immune to any of that trajectory if yep. we don't deal with the stuff that's going on right now. Absolutely. And I, and I'll be really honest, I was a little surprised by my like guttural reaction to this yesterday 
like you touched on, is like, I just don't want to deal with this. Yep. And I have the luxury to like, ah, but you said it perfectly. That's not my church. Though. Like people right now are so grieved because yes. the harvest wasn't just their Sunday morning destination. It was their family. Yep. And like people are really, really getting ripped apart, I think, at the seams in a lot of ways. And that's the stuff that as a pastor breaks my heart, which is for me that it has got to be in the main motivations for us. Like, okay. Accountability stings. Yep. Sometimes it's easier just to make decisions on your own, you know, ladder, whatever. And and it's easy to convince yourself, like, well, I'll never become that. Right. Like, that's what everybody thinks. Yep. And if we're not diligent about calling that stuff out and letting people into the deepest, darkest, hardest parts of our lives, um, I think we put ourselves in a dangerous place. Absolutely. And I will just put it out there that if James McDonald actually did this, which is right now allegedly, and the police will get to the bottom of it, if he did this, I hope he goes to prison for a long time. I hope we don't people out there don't be like, well, but he's a great preacher. You know, he really affects. Nope, you criminal. Send him to prison. But I do think there are things to be learned here, like you said, and warning flags going up yeah. of like what's wrong with evangelicalism that the people that we held up as the giants are just kind of tumbling one after the other in spectacular ways. Yeah. It needs to cause us to look at the church as a whole. It needs to cause us to look at our own pastors and us as individuals and go, sin is insidious and it creeps in and it just kind of grows. And again, it's the it's the boiling of the frog, right? Like yeah. it just happens over time. And 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 we've got to be really careful, really careful. And we got to be praying for the church. Absolutely. And we've got to be guarding the church, Absolutely. guarding the church at the expense, right, of like these big celebrities. We got to be willing to do away with them yep. uh, if it's the church being hurt. Totally agree, man. All right. Well, coming up next, here's the headline I want to read to you. Why I ditched the evangelical persecution complex. We're going to take a deep dive into that idea coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Friends, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us online. I'm not going to – you can just Google it. You can figure that out. You guys are <laughs> – you're, you're all smart people. Uh, I teased before the break. I want to talk about this article about the evangelical persecution complex. Uh, but first, Brian, I believe you have a word for us. I do. Greg Laurie, Phil Wickham, Lecrae for King and Country. You could win the chance to see them all live this August. Just enter to win now at 1160hope.com slash contest. We're giving away a trip for two to SoCal Harvest 2019 in Anaheim, including airfare, hotel, and a $700 Visa gift card. Like, I want that. I just want that. (laughs) A free copy of Greg Laurie and Ellen Vaughn's book, Jesus Revolution, is yours just for entering. So register today at 1160hope.com slash contest. That's 1160hope.com slash contest. You are good at those. I just... It's, just, it's a matter of reading, man. If yeah, the but, low bar here is reading, we're uh, good. Well, okay. People will learn, though, especially with the kicker segment. Yeah. Uh, reading's hard for me. It is. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes I completely misread entire sentences, and you have to just endure it. Like, I listened to one of those funny like end of the seg- <laughs> end of the show ones yesterday. I was I was listening back, and there was one where I was like, I think it sounds like I'm having a stroke. <laughs> Like, I can't read there. <laughs> not that we're in any way making light of strokes. Just sounded like I was having one. <laughs> Isn't that weird, though? You think, oh, yeah, you're just reading words on a page, and then you actually get to those words, and you're like, I don't know how to I talk good. I don't I know. Don't. I can't put them together. <laughs> I can definitely relate. All right, so here, here's the headline that I mentioned, why I ditched the evangelical persecution complex. And we actually touched on this we did. a little bit last week, uh, particularly with regards to some stuff Mike Pence was saying, and we... 
I, I, I feel like we kind of went back and forth on this one a little bit. And then uh, this article came out, which I thought shed some good light. And you've had some personal experience with this topic very, very recently. Isn't that right? Yeah, I just think I've been talking to a lot of people about this lately. And I don't know, man, it's becoming a little bit of a passion point of mine. Uh, this concept that somehow our culture is changing so deeply that now we as evangelical Christians are being persecuted. And, and maybe it's just semantics for me, but it just feels so dangerous. And so Mike Pence spoke at Liberty, and then next the, the week later, which was this past weekend, he spoke at Taylor uh, University, both at their commencement. Uh, he was their commencement speakers. Uh, and he told a crowd of students this, that they should prepare to be shunned or ridiculed for defending the teachings of the Bible. You're going to be asked not just to tolerate things that violate your faith. You're going to be asked to endorse them. Throughout most of American history, it's been pretty easy to call yourself a Christian, but things are different now. And I think just off the top, I think he's got a point. Like he's not blatantly wrong, right? We've done stories about people needing to bake cakes for things they don't want to do. Uh, in the schools, being taught things they they may not be comfortable with, whatever else it might be. I just think it is dangerous to start throwing around the word persecution hmm. and uh, in, in America. Uh, and, and one of these people I was talking to, I said, when's the last time you left your house and you legitimately feared for your well-being? Right. When did you fear for your well-being and feel like you literally weren't able to acknowledge your faith, like hmm. that you couldn't speak of it? You might get challenged for it. You might get pushback for it, right. but this word persecution and shunning and this and be prepared, I just think is not helpful <laughs> because I think the result becomes, hey, let's all just kind of wall ourselves off, get ready for battle from the big dark world and the big bad non-Christians and and like, let's get ready to fight. And I just don't think that's the call of Christ in our life. There are people being persecuted all over the world. I don't want to minimize those persecutions. There right. are people dying yes. around the world for their faith. It's just not here. And I'm thankful for that. And I just worry that this rhetoric uh, of, of making it DEFCON 10, right, like that <laughs> be prepared, this us against them mentality uh, is going to lead us to some bad places that we just don't need to go. And I, I might even go further because you call it not helpful, which yep. I do agree with. Like, I think of this is maybe not a helpful analogy, but like somebody who, let's say they're always being prepared for whatever weather comes their way. So every yep. time they leave the house, they're bringing a raincoat and snow boots and a hat and sunscreen and a boat. And you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you, like that could yeah. comically just look like, oh, they're just overprepared, but what is it harming? Yep. I think, honestly, when this becomes like the main mantra for evangelicals that we are perpetuating a system of, of defensiveness yes. of right. So Philippians two is, is part of what the call to be a Christ follower is, is to the interests of others. And Jesus does warn us like, yeah, there's going to be times where the world's going to hate you. Like that's, mm -hmm. if that's literally what we're being prepared for, then is it, is it worse than unhelpful particularly for you know young minds young professionals to say hey be be on guard like i'm i don't want it to sound like i'm anti be on guard like yep. we should be prepared yep. for a lot of different things but when it comes to this idea that you're saying that the the, the word persecution feels a little overblown if yes. i could just say that yep. I, I think there is very real persecution that does happen in the world and honestly maybe even happening in our country in ways that you and i can't see yep. you know we're both yeah, like, text white, us. Let us know. Call, love I mean, to hear we're, we're white, straight men in Chicago, right? So that there's, there is certainly a context that clouds some of our judgment, I think, in this particular avenue. But 
I'm curious why you think not only do we tend to jump to persecution, but like that. Why does that kind of rhetoric gain so much steam? Like, why do we rally around those types of warnings? Yeah, it's a great question. I think that, um, man, off the top of my head, I think that we, a we like a good fight, like we're being fought mm. against, like there's something to that. Like that feels heroic or something. A little bit, mm. you know. Think about. Uh, even how we talk politically, it's never about what just you believe, but that the other side's completely against me. <laughs> right. right. So right. let's not lose sight of the fact that it was a politician who was making these claims to these students. Right. Like uh, there's something there. there is something to that. And, uh, you know, I, I think it helps us categorize what's going on around us like, oh, they're. They, they want, you know, there's these th- non-Christian ideas creeping into the culture. It's all of Satan and we must fight back. Maybe instead it's, it's a good opportunity for us to engage a conversation right. and to say that, you know what, this is what we've been promised. But to also recognize what we have, the freedoms that we have. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't I, I'm not having I'm not about to say this just to be as controversial as I can. Oh, boy. But can we just be honest that the that the Muslims in our country probably have it worse than the Christians? Like they probably do. And so if we have it a little bit less good than we did, like it doesn't mean that we have it the worst of anybody out there. Yeah, right. Like if 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 pushback against our faith has gone from a level two to a level four, we don't need to act like it's a level 10. Mm. And instead we can say, you know what? Jesus said this is how it's going to be. Right. Maybe it's more like that now than it used to be. But it's an opportunity for me to show the love of Christ to my neighbors in the midst of pushback, to show the love to our community instead of. I just am uncomfortable with this rhetoric of like, let's fight, fight, fight. Like, I just <laughs> I just don't think that's what Christ has called us to do. And so maybe if you feel like you're being really persecuted and pushed against, yeah. then what is that? What is a Jesus response? What is a Christ-like right. response to that for us as individuals and as churches to have? And that's what I was going to say, actually. Even if the persecution is completely 100% legitimate, that might not be the worst thing to happen, uh-uh. right? Like, I think there's a lot there's a lot of really great spiritual writing to defend the idea that actually in persecution in even martyrdom, that that really is the seat of the church. And I think, uh, you know, and I I'd mentioned this a couple months ago um, after after the summer that ISIS really picked up a lot of steam. I just began to kind of have these one on one conversations with the different Muslim leaders in our neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you what, that was a turning point for me because I do sometimes feel like. Oh man, it's so hard to be a Christian in the persecution and all that stuff. Yep. I, I I am just as susceptible to that rhetoric as anybody. But like seeing the fear in some of their eyes, mm. like I could not leave my house for two weeks. I'm like, oh, I've never felt that. Yeah. Like you want to talk about like it, it was like a light bulb moment for me. Like that's what persecution looks like. Yeah. And it took me having to have one on one conversations and coffee with people who were walking in those shoes for me to really realize. So it's like one thing for us to talk about this on the radio. It's another thing entirely is, and maybe that's the challenge. Maybe that's, Hey, uh, befriend somebody in a completely different context than you and like get into the weeds of what persecution actually looks like because from two to a four, like, you know, to use your analogy, I still double. Yeah. So that will still shock our system. Yes. So I don't want to delegitimize that. I, I think our culture is is swimming against our faith. I am not trying to say that we are this Christian culture and growing. Right, right, right. I just don't want to take it to an extreme that I feel like people are taking I, it to. I think that's a really wise call, man. Just because a two to a four is not is still doubled doesn't mean that we still shouldn't maybe be mindful of those who are at a seven or eight. Exactly. And I think that context is So really I would important. encourage you to Facebook or text us. Like text us at 68683 uh, or on our Facebook page, comment on the article. 
Because maybe you think we're wrong. Yeah. Maybe we want to hear that because, uh, you know, that, like I said, this is becoming a bigger deal for me. And I just, you know, I, I think it's dangerous the way the rhetoric is going. We would love to hear from you. And you could, we would actually love most to hear from you if, you want, if you're going to say you're wrong. Yeah, I'm okay with that. All right, coming up next in a uh, society addicted to spectacle, and we've talked a lot about this, social media addiction and sort of our uh, our proclivity to swim in those streams constantly. H- how do we actually keep our eyes fixed on Christ amidst all the noise? That's what we're going to tackle coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hi, ho neighbors. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. Welcome back to The Common Good. Find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com, or by yelling at your computer. I'm sh- it'll figure it out. <laughs> Big Brother is so powerful. Just say the Common Good. It'll show up into the sky, and you'll get ads or something, I'm sure of it. Uh, I mentioned before the break, I want to talk about uh, this idea of discipline in a media-saturated age. But before we do that, last couple of weeks, uh, we've been talking about food for the poor. And I mentioned this uh, yesterday, I think, how... Easy it is for us to talk about organizations like this because mm-hmm. they're doing such incredible work, and we're focusing specifically on on Haiti uh, for a, a number of reasons. But there's like a humanitarian crisis there right now, and uh, we talked to a number of people who have been there on the ground. And so, if you are in any way compelled to not just like make a difference, but to to save a life, I cannot encourage you enough. Go to eleven sixty hope dot com right now. Uh, click on the uh, Saving Families banner there, and um, for any dollar amount, you can make a significant difference. And the kind of charge, the call, is that uh, 80 bucks, a one-time gift of 80 bucks, is food for a year, water for life. And again, water being like the number one yeah. global issue um, in terms of in, in terms of harm to people. And uh, so I cannot encourage you enough uh, to take part in that, and not, not just take part in it, but encourage other people to do the same. Maybe your small group, maybe your family. Uh, post it, tweet it, share it. Let's uh, let's make a difference in the lives of some people that so so desperately uh, need that. So, a uh, story that I I found um, out of Christianity Today is is a topic that I, I I like that we keep coming back to, but it's starting to depress me to be honest. It's <laughs> <laughs> it really is, and I'll tell you why. So, this is how it opens. According to research released last summer by the Nielsen Company, American adults spend an average of eleven hours or almost half of each day. Consuming some form of media from the moment we wake up and instinctively check our phones through the daily commutes with radios or podcasts. I'm convicted because we might be that for you right now. <laughs> At the end of the day, when we binge on Netflix, we live, uh, we live those statistics day in and day out. According to Nielsen's numbers, we spend more time consuming media than eating, sleeping, or any other activity. It's unreal. But also not that surprising. It's not. When, <laughs> when I first read that, and I think you're getting at that too, when I first read that, I said, there is no way it's 11 hours. I'm like doing the math in my head, right? You sleep seven or eight, or in your case, an hour and a half or two. And uh, you start- I have, I have a newborn at home. Yeah. You start to do the math and you're like, wait, oh, okay. 11 hours, actually the amount of time you maybe watch TV or you're just playing on your phone or the internet, you're like, oh, maybe it's actually true. And it's just crazy. And this article later says even something crazier. That is an hour and a half more than only four years ago. That's crazy. And so there is this trajectory of of not even a little bit, but a lot. And so the question they ask later in the article is, what's it going to look like five years from now? Hmm. What's it look like 10? And so this article is uh, talking about a book by Tony Reinke. Reinke? Reinke, I believe, from yeah. Desiring God. Uh, it's at Christianity Today. And it's basically, so it's, I bring that up to say it is focused on the Christ follower. 
uh, those of us who are Christ followers, because we all know that this amount of media is not good for us, just generically speaking, as humans. It's not good for us. But he's trying to make the point that it's especially not good for the Christ follower because uh, where our eyes are to be focused, where our focus is to be, uh, is is being kind of it's being taken away, and so he quotes a John Piper quote. And if you know if you know any of John Piper, you know uh, that John Piper says things that are somewhat provocative and uh, sometimes just <laughs> just kind of in your face. Piper says this. He says the world aches to be awed. So that's a w e d. The world aches to be awed. That ache was made for God. The world seeks it mainly through movies. <laughs> and you could add in there television. Right. E- enter your form of entertainment there. Uh, and so uh, Ranky's point is, is that we as Christians are too easily distracted. We're too easily – we're looking in the wrong place for awe. And that all of this uh, focus on media and phones and movies and entertainment – is taking away our focus from that which uh, we are to be most focused upon. Yeah, and I, I think it's also worth noting that like seeking what he calls these spectacles isn't a bad thing. Not at all. Not a bad thing to enjoy The Office or to listen to a song on the radio. Watch like, a baseball game. All, right. Any of that, right. That's The problem isn't that they exist, and this is where I think we often kind of overreact. Like, but then I need to cut out all point. media yeah. because it's the devil. You know, like that's, yeah. I think that Why is. Why did you say that with a southern accent? I can't not say, <laughs> I can't not say that's the devil. It's the devil. <laughs> Without a little twang on it. But you know what I mean? Like, that's I, yes. And that's is where, and I've even admitted this to you, like I'm always like this close to becoming Amish, I think, or a Quaker at best. Yeah. Like that is appealing to me because just this avalanche of, of noise. Like, have you ever found yourself checking your phone and you're like, I don't even want to be checking my phone right now? Yes. Or I just checked it three minutes ago. What, what am, I, am doing? I doing? And yet you continue, right? Oh. There is this addictive behavior to like, oh, like I've even read articles about like the, uh, how a lot of these apps have been re-engineered to simulate like the pulling of a slot machine, yes. right? And how different colors are engineered, specifically this red to light up certain centers in our brain. Like it's a multi-billion dollar industry to addict us to these forms of media, and we're, we'd be naive to not at least be aware of these tactics. Again, not to you don't have to throw your computer out the window and never listen to music, but to be mindful that like we were created. I like that word ache actually because there is a longing for, and I know that not, not everybody loves travel, not everybody yep. loves outdoors, but like my wife and I both love travel, yeah. and there is something unspoken when we're like watching a glorious sunset together. Like mm. we don't even need to say it. Like, there's just this, like, sacred moment, like, oh, yeah, I need more of that in my life. Mm. And the thing about sunrises and sunsets is they're free. Yeah. We, get them, we get them every day. Yep. And yet, how often am I waking up to see a sunrise? <laughs> very, very rarely. Yeah. And I think that, that recognizing that ache is not accidental, that there is this longing for awe. In fact, I think awe makes us healthier humans. Like, yeah. there, there is good, quote-unquote, secular research that, like, pondering and appreciating beauty does something to our brains yeah. it does something to like our physiology uh and yet we kind of subtle for you know substitutes i think yeah. we just sort of binge watch or scroll on our phone it's so true you said like how often do we just look at our phone and not even know why we're looking at it? i literally did that last night i, yeah, I yeah. remember i literally had the thought in my kitchen like why am i picking this up again <laughs> i just checked my email two and a half minutes ago <laughs> right let me read this because uh, i think it, it encapsulates not only what his book says but what you just said so well it says competing spectacles which is the name of the book is not a call to give up social media or renounce our visual culture but a call to self-discipline 
Uh, Renke alludes to the early Christians who fought to abolish the Roman blood sport industry, as well as the Puritans centuries later, who were involved in shutting down theaters of London. But Renke doesn't call Christians today to any equivalent form of protest or activism. By his own admission, Competing Spectacles is geared more toward developing a theology that helps believers think through these issues Mm. on a personal level. I think that's a great call. Like, Just have you thought through what the effect of social media and entertainment and visualness, if that's a word, is having upon not just your faith, but your family and just your well-being as a whole. And then you make those decisions as to where your priorities lie and what you're comfortable with. And and not even just as spectators, though. I think the the subtext for me, uh, just as a a pastor, as a writer, as a leader, that – we also need, and this is part of our conversation with, with Dallas week in and week out, uh, Christians creating good art is also really significant. I think sometimes, unfortunately, the sermon can be reduced to just this disseminating of information. Yep. If there is this ache to be awe and uh, you are a churchman, you work in that you, if that's part of your role, and even if it's not, like, it's not just about, hey, watch a sunset now and again. It's like, oh, what, what if we helped create environments for people to be awed? Yep. And sometimes that's honestly... A great story. Like I have, I have a friend who is just a he's just a prolific storyteller. And within the first sentence, everyone everyone stops what they're doing and they lean in. Yeah. And I had that moment the last time I was around him. Like, oh, you're creating awe right now. Mm. And there is something universal about like, oh, yeah, I don't need my phone right now. I want to hear how this yes. story ends. And I think, man, what a what an important call for us to 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 see social media uh, and to see all of these technologies as you know, it's what they are. They can be helpful and useful, but they also can be Really, really distracting. Yes. And that's something I think for all of us to be mindful of. Well, you've been listening to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Amazon. Amazon. You can find us on Netflix. <laughs> Search for us on Hulu. I don't think any of those are true, but it's Facebook. Not- <laughs> I would be really curious to know what people find if they just search on Netflix. The common good. Yeah. Just we, we cannot we can neither endorse nor <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. That's, I probably should have done some research before saying that. <laughs> Out to the universe. Okay. So uh, anywho, I want to talk about this article that you found about ten things you absolutely must do with your kids before they turn eighteen. Yep. Uh, but first, if you've been blessed by through the Bible's five year verse by verse study with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Uh, I want to encourage you to let the ministry know how they've impacted your life. You can visit 1160hope.com slash letter right now. Do it right now. Uh, also, worth stating, Through the Bible airs weekday mornings at 5 and weekday evenings at 1030 right here on AM 1160. Hope for all of our lives. Uh, okay, so. Just hope for your life. <laughs> just mine? <laughs> yes. I, don't, I should make it universal? Nope. All right, well, that's fair. Ten things you absolutely must do, which I, okay. No, keep going. It's good. You absolutely must no, do with good. your kids before they turn 18. You were going over this list. Uh, you were feeling pretty good about yourself. At the I time. was. <laughs> so I'm feeling like, you know, you and I often talk at least once a day about the ages of our kids. My kids, uh, especially my daughter, this is her last week of her freshman year of high school oh, right now. Look Finals are next week. Woo. So not to get too melodramatic, because I actually love each of these stages, and I would love when she goes to college and this stuff. But you can also see the end of a season coming, right? Yeah, like, it's got to be hard. And so even the way this starts, it's like you have 18 summers with your children, right? Like it's like this. <laughs> and so you referenced it about you and your wife in the last segment that you like to travel. Yeah. I love the, the most fun thing we do as a family. 
my wife and I have three kids, uh, freshman, high school, fifth grade, fourth grade. It has always been travel. We travel really? well. We ro- we always drive. We do fun things. So last year when we were on sabbatical, three-week three week road trip out east, and it's just the best. I think traveling is uh, and it doesn't have to be expensive travel, but I think kind of experiences like that, in my mind, are the best things you can do as a family. Uh, that's what makes the memories. And so I found this article. It is from the Travel Channel. And so it's all about travel. Their idea of 10 things you need to do with your kids before they turn 18. And this isn't like, you know, ha- talk about that. This is blatantly travel. This is travel stuff. <laughs> right, right, right. 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 Like we all know you have to have the talk with your kids before they turn 18, right? <laughs> so that's that stuff's not included. That in is not included. Maybe while traveling. <laughs> uh, I would not recommend that. <laughs> I would. Uh, it's funny. Um so 10 things. I'm going to just read this list and you jump in on any one because I, like I told you, I feel like I've done some, but you're at the very front end. I'd be interested to be like, no, I don't really care to do that, okay. but I care to do that. Number one, go on a multi-generational family cruise. Pro. You're good for that. Yep. My wife, not interested at all in going on a cruise. So we've never done that one. But Yeah. I, I don't know that I ever actually will, to be honest. Yep. I'm more pro like in theory. So this one, we've number two, we've done multiple times with our kids. Uh, and I'll tell you how in a second, but I'm going, I'm very interested in your take on this one. <laughs> Visit the most famous mouse in the world, otherwise known as go to Disney World. No, thank you. You don't want to. Nope. Really? Why? It just seems insane. It's, it, I, it's, first off, it just feels like the, uh, the pinnacle of consumerism. And I've never met a parent that came back from a trip saying, yeah, I'm glad we did that. They so, always seem stressed and overwhelmed and broke. Everything you're saying is true. And it's awesome. <sighs> I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I look forward to the day. You're going to take them someday. I probably will. So we've done it three or four times. and I'm You gonna, have? Yeah, but here's my caveat. I've never paid for it. What? Yeah. Grandparents, both sides of the oh, family. I need to get a sugar daddy is what you're saying. <laughs> All right. All right. So there is that caveat there because it is not cheap. But so, man, the so first time. World, if you can go for free. The first time you walk in and your kids see that castle, you're like. This is magical. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know that my kids will have that reaction. Maybe they will. What do I know? My you, kid's a year and a half. You're going to love this one. Number three is you. Take a national park vacation. Yes, please. Go to the national parks. Okay. Number four. We did this one last year with my family. Explore our nation's capital. Go to Washington, D.C. Yep. It was great. It really was fun. Did they like it? They did. <laughs> they, they did? really did. We didn't do a ton of museums and this and that. We did. You know, we, went, we got a tour through the Capitol building. Awesome. We went to the White House. We... It was really fun. That's really. But then cool. we also had a hotel with a cool pool, and we'd let the, yeah. we'd spend the morning at the pool. <laughs> if right? they were in here right now and they were asked what was their favorite part of that trip, would they say the pool? It would be close. Really? They loved it. <laughs> and this is something when you I'm travel. Okay with that, this totally. is something when you travel with your kids. Most kids don't do well, and parenthetically, most adults don't do well when you go from like eight till six. Yeah, nobody. Right. Spend the morning at the pool, then go. You know, do that kind of stuff. I'm with you. Number five, and this is kind of a bigger one, and I just explained why I love this. Take a family road trip. Love Load it. up in the minivan and yes. go. Number six, and this one is an easy one for me from where I grew up, uh, see the Big Apple Big Apple, and Lady Liberty, the Statue of Liberty. There is <laughs> I'm, some, I'm okay with that. There's something about New York City. There is something and about also, New York City. And also, to me, that feels uh, as stressful as the Disney one, just for very different reasons. Yes. Yeah, having grown up out there, like... There's places I can stay in Jersey and then go into the city. So it's okay. a little different. But This list is starting to feel like it's curated by you specifically. It really does. I, I'm <laughs> telling you people, I feel really good about my parenting as I read this list. I'm like, my kids have had it good. Uh, number seven, this is an interesting one. Take a family heritage 
uh, road trip. What does that? What does that mean? Uh, before your kids spread their wings, it says, and go out into the world, they should learn about and visit where they're from. So do some research and plan a trip to the place where your family first laid down its roots That's beyond awesome. countries and villages. Dig deeper. Uh, so we've done this on a level of like we've gone back to New Jersey and stuff, but my whole family's from Norway and we've never done that. That would be unbelievable yeah, be to really take cool. our family. So a family heritage trip. Next, uh, this one's eight. Do volunteer work abroad. Cool. And this comes a little easy in the Christian world because there's always like church mission trips and stuff like we took our kids to Costa Rica, not the nice part of Costa Rica, but right, on a mission right. trip. It was awesome. Really? I would encourage you to do it. And your kids would have, I, I'm sorry, I have to kids keep asking how they loved it. They did. Okay. Loved it. We did as a family. Awesome. We did it with some other families and they see things they've never seen before. You're a good dad. Uh, see, I'm winning in this one, man. <laughs> I'm winning in this one. <laughs> You're winning at life. Number nine, I've never done. Try an adventure by train. I know families want to do this. I know a family that regularly they have family out in California and they will take the train yes. to California. Oh, I love that. So we've never done this. Well, and they've been uh, We took the train to Chicago. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, they so they're familiar the with the medium, it. I guess, yeah. but like they're creating more and more trains now with like like glass roofs so you can like oh, see cool. everything. I think that sounds so much fun. Cool. And last one and I teed this up for you. This is Ian Simpkins <laughs> special. Number 10, go camping. Love it. Yeah, I, this is not one that I desire, but my wife does. I just so that means you'll be going camping. Is that? I'm not sure. If would I she would she go without the kids? <laughs> so we'll camp. We've camped in the backyard or at Blackwell Forest Preserve, but this feels more like do a week long camping trip, backcountry site. It says, uh, you know, where you can do stuff. So anyway, and this is the Travel Channel, so they then give you links to articles like. 10 fun camping games for kids. <laughs> well, and I, that's a great, so that's a good tee up because I would love to know, like, would you add something to this list, Brian Fromm, or anyone listening? Like, there's stuff that, like, oh, that clearly missed what I think is a massively important thing to do. Again, selfishly asking because my oldest is a year and a half and I want to, I want to get a jump on some of these things. So uh, that's a great question. And for me, so it, that's where it becomes very much about your preference, right? Like, as a guy who grew up on the East Coast and is now raising children in the Midwest, right. I would add go to the ocean. Oh, like, that's take good. your kids to the ocean. Like, and so that's a personal preference of mine. Other people would be like, take your kids to the Rockies. Right. Like right. mountains don't do it for me. Oceans do it for me. See, it all does it for me. And so all for me, it's like, I actually said to my wife a couple years ago, I said, I'm good living in the Midwest. Can we make a commitment to like every year or two at some point during the year, go to the ocean? That's awesome. And we've tried to do that. And so that's one for me. How about you? In the little time we have left, what's one in here that you foresee being for you? Oh, man. I think something about something involving architecture is missing mm. from here. Like, like, and that could be, you know, I, I know buddies who are like baseball freaks who have, you know, gone to see all the stadiums. Yep. Um, but I think in terms of like theaters or even the, when I first moved to Chicago, taking the architecture tour, um, and I'm not even an architecture guy. I just think, and again, maybe the travel channel. I don't know. I don't know how these things are organized. For I just think, sure. I think recognizing. The, yeah, right, right. We're literally doing the whole segment based on clickbait. Uh, as much as I am, I am so predisposed to love all the n- nature stuff and the mountains yep. and the ocean, all that. Um, there is also like a different sense of awe, and we were just literally talking about this ache for awe, mm-hmm. um, seeing in like the, the the beauty of people's craftsmanship. And I think um, I've always, especially like in Detroit, there's so many cool buildings that get overlooked that are just magnificent and mm. uh i yeah i get emotional thinking about my kids seeing some of those things for it's the first really time, cool which so, really the, the the umbrella for the whole thing is quality time the umbrella is also experience over stuff yeah totally. quality time with your kids you will not regret it that's I, that's i think that's spot on man all right so uh so that was a nice easy 
low hanging fruit kind of one. Yeah, and we did murder for hire before. Let's do well, that. One. And we're about to take a right turn because uh, next up we're going to talk about uh, pro life laws are needed, but are they enough? We're going to talk about that coming up next here on the Common Good on AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with my good buddy, Brian Fromm. Oh, thank you. I don't think I ever call you buddy. Nope, usually you're making fun of my middle name. <laughs> <laughs> Even not your real middle name. No. I'm making fun of the made-up middle name that hey, I give middle you. Name. That is That is dark. I am so sorry. I'd like to publicly apologize. It's accepted. Wow, just I'm like kidding. that. We're good. <laughs> you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com, or wherever it is that you get your podcast. And I teed it up. Uh, I think, well, maybe I didn't. Uh, the headline is pretty provocative. Pro-life laws are needed, uh, but are they enough? And uh, I'd love to know, why don't, why don't you just catch us up to speed on the article, and then we'll just duke it out. Yeah. Abortion. Thoughts? <laughs> yeah, right. That's kind of what I just did to you. Well, one thing that has been fascinating, and we didn't. We talked off-air with Dallas Jenkins yesterday, I believe it was, uh, about just the uproar on both sides over the abortion debate. and. Abortion has always been a hot button topic, but man, is it with these laws going into place? Which laws in particular are you talking the about? The one in Alabama, okay. or, but then on the flip side, the one in New York and Virginia, right. and now right. the Alabama one, and I believe Missouri. Like they're the 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 extreme. They're they're going to the polls, let's say, and I don't mean that as in the voting polls. I mean we're going to the extremes right now. And so, uh, you know, when when Pat Robertson calls a uh, a law uh, too much, <laughs> too restrictive, or yeah. <laughs> or having gone too far, that's that's something. Uh, that, that is something. <laughs> and so, I want to be. If you've listened to this show for any amount of time, you know that I'll speak for myself, but I I think I speak for both of us that we are both firmly against abortion, and we think it is. I think it is a hill to die on for the church. It is uh, something to fight for. Uh, or against, I should say, it is something to teach on. It is something that we need to be discussing. Uh, and so that is my first point, too. Uh, I do think, though, that we spe- we are uh, we get ourselves in trouble when we call ourselves pro-life, but all that we mean by that is that we're anti-abortion. And that's what this article gets at. And I want to read a, a Twitter thread here in a minute. I think that... We need to, when we talk about the abortion debate, the church particularly needs to be willing to enter into the pro-life discussion more holistically. So we can be, we can remain 100% against abortion. But here's the question this article raises. If Roe versus Wade went away tomorrow and abortion was was made illegal, would the pro-life movement be over? Would we have accomplished our goal? Uh, Or is there more to it? Is there more to it? And so... Um, we've quoted a guy by the name of Sky Jatani often on this. In fact, Sky, while you were out way at the beginning of the show, he actually co-hosted with me for uh-huh. a day. And I want to read kind of a Twitter thread that he had on this that I think is really interesting. Uh, and he, it goes like this. He says, pro-life Christians need to think holistically and compassionately about the issue by caring for women rather than incarcerating them. Reading about the 19th century abolitionist movement, he, he writes, I see parallels to the pro-life movement today. 
some white Christian abolitionists wanted to end the evil of slavery because they feared God's judgment of the U.S., but they didn't all believe in racial equality or integration. Instead, some advocated for the repatriation of freed slaves to Africa. They wanted a clear conscience by ending slavery, but also avoid the sacrifices necessary to make America a racially diverse society. Similarly, he writes, some pro-life folks, not at all, not all, he writes, who focus solely on courts and politics, want to end the legal sanction of abortion so the U.S. can appear righteous, but say nothing on the social and economic policies that help women and have been proven to reduce abortions. That's an important one. To be pro-life in the Christian sense needs to be much more voting for certain politicians and judges and overturning one uh, Supreme Court ruling. It should influence our views on education, health care, economics, taxes, criminal justice, Etc. It comes down to whether we really want to alleviate the suffering of women and children or merely alleviate the guilty consciences of white conservative Christians. Changing one law, being Roe versus Wade, may solve the latter, but not the former. Uh, and he goes on and on and on. But here's here's the point, man, that I think is so powerful. And I'd love your thoughts on is that this just can't be about abortion. But we have to have the honest conversation about what are the policies and what is the politics and what is what can the church do to make more of a cultural setting for people to to uh, to more easily have babies and not have the desire to get rid of them? That that abortion, you look at it along racial lines, you look on it along economic lines. And these those are very uh, no pun intended here, black and white. And so uh, we want to say, what holistically can we do within our culture Uh, That will actually reduce abortions because one of those things is to have the conversation about Roe versus Wade and the legality of abortion. But it is also a lot more than that. Yeah. And it's it's so tricky for me because um, I really am trying to just consume as much information about this as I can. uh, Fully recognizing that I I am I'm in way over my skis Mm -hmm. that the 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 aborting of an unborn baby is is so heartbreaking to and me. Horrific, yes. And I can only imagine that just as a guy feeling how horrific that is, having zero experience. How much more so that must be for the mother, which is part of my issue sometimes because the the rhetoric of people who have had abortions is that they're just baby killers. And I'm like, I, I don't, I don't know if that's a helpful starting point to talk about. Oh, you're just a baby killer. Like I don't. I think we've in some ways created this political theater that. Uh, there's these women just like flippantly getting rid of babies yep. and they don't care about life and they're just doing it indiscriminately. And they're just sort of, you know what I mean? Like I, I, again, I realize my experience and my, my, um, my sampling size here of people that I know who have walked through this incredibly traumatic season is not that they're like, yeah, I'm just using it as a form of birth control. Like, right. I, I don't know that that's necessarily accurate. Now there's all sorts of other research to uh, support the idea of bands like the one in Alabama actually create, just um, more dangerous circumstances for abortions to happen. And there's all sorts of other data, like the World Health, uh, World Health Organization says that unsafe abortions are the third leading cause of maternal death worldwide and lead to an additional 5 million largely preventable disabilities, uh, which it is really heartbreaking. And I, I don't tend to quote or reference, uh, what's her name, Tommy Lahren, um, but she said, you can be pro-life and believe government bans are not the solution. What happened to safe, legal, and rare? And I'm curious how you feel about that that call because Sky ends his 
his uh, tweet thread by saying, if we really want to help both women and children, let's advocate for policies, legal, social, economic, that have been proven to reduce abortions and create environments that alleviate the conditions that cause more women to seek them. That goes well beyond partisan politics. Right. What, what do you, how, how do you respond to sentiments like that? Yeah, I think that you often hear about Christians being one um, uh, single issue voters. Thank you. Yeah. Total brain cramp there. <laughs> single issue voters uh, and that issue being abortion. And I, I get that. And what I would want us to be is I want us to be single issue voters, but I want it to be bigger than that. I want it to be that we are pro-life voters. And that that uh, what's underneath that umbrella is so much bigger than just abortion. Abortion is under that umbrella, uh, but it's not just that. And and so people, I think it's not a partisan issue. We need to begin voting and begin uh, championing things. You need to ask yourself is is the economic policy of this person, this candidate is the social policies of this party or this candidate going to help life flourish across the board or help it not flourish. And that's how I want us to start making decisions. Cause I don't think, you know, one of the things that's bothered me in this debate, I'm about to get myself in trouble. So here we go. <laughs> this is the you show can, to do it. You can text me. I don't think this is just a women's issue. And that's bothered me about this discussion. Men shouldn't have a say in this. And I said, I don't, I think this is a cultural issue. I think one of the problems is that men aren't involved in this conversation, and it's a political issue, it's a church issue, it's a cultural issue that we all need to wrestle with. And hopefully all of us want – there are people who do get abortions for flippant reasons like you were describing, but I agree with you. I don't think it's the majority of people. And I I don't think it's even close. I think we've caricatured it in that way to move an agenda forward. And on the other side, I don't think this is just a women's health issue. It's not. Those babies have beating hearts and are, in my opinion, are living uh, human beings that need to be stood up for. They're the most vulnerable. and We need to stand up for them. And so we need to begin having a conversation in this culture that says, what does it look like to actually be pro-life so that the women feel like they can have uh, they can carry this pregnancy to term so that churches are fostering babies and whatever else. But also the other side sees it as, no, this, these are human beings within these women. I think it is, let's just put it this way, it's a more complex issue than either side allows the discussion to be. And I understand why. But I think as Christians, we need to, we need to allow the complexity of this. And that's why I love what Sky said. He's like, let's advocate for policies that have been proven to reduce abortions. Uh, and and start from there and then begin pushing forth candidates and policies and everything else that are going to help that happen. You know, Brian Fromm, it's been uh, it's been great having you on the show. And uh, I wish you nothing but success in all your future endeavors. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, this has been Brian Fromm's last show here on the Common Good. Coming up next, uh, here's the headline. Christians are big on relationships, but weak on discipleship and evangelism. Mm. And uh, we're going to take a deep dive into that topic. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Everybody, I hope you're pumped up. That song always gets me. Gets you going. Gets Gets me amped. Uh, my name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You're listening to The Common Good. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com. And uh, I teed it up. This is the story. Christians are big on relationships, but weak on discipleship and evangelism, mm. which, again, <laughs> are kind of churchy words anyway. Like, if you're not a church person, you're like, discipleship, evangelism. Like, really, discipleship is about formation. Yep. And evangelism is about sharing the gospel. So Invitation. So, invita- yes. Ooh. Ooh, look at yep, you, preacher yep, Brian. There it is. So essentially what they're, they're making the claim is like we, we love relationship building and we're pretty good at it. 
But when it comes to some of the nuts and bolts of like, you know, what maybe you would call sanctification, mm. uh, we're not great at. And when it comes to actually sharing your faith, uh, we're not great there either. And it's sort of one of those preach the gospel always, uh, if necessary, use words, which I think is misattributed to right. St. Francis of Assisi. Um, but I'm curious, one, like what about this article stood out to you? And two, uh, how do you see this at play like in your, in your, own, con- uh, in your own context? Are you guys better at this? Are you worse at this? Uh, it's interesting because if you asked me what our church is good at, I would say, number one, it's relationships. Yeah. And so I do get this, and that's a good thing. I think that people long to be known and know other people, and so church is an avenue for doing that. And being a part of a family and being part of a church community is an avenue for doing that. And so I want to cheer this on. Uh, somewhere in the article here, it said uh, some 78% uh, of study participants said they developed significant relationships with people at their church. Like, they, I want to applaud that and say that is awesome. Yeah. Uh, you and I both were part of churches with the word community in it. Uh-huh. And uh, we want to say, yes, we love that people here are finding relationships. They're becoming known by other people because we live in a culture that is lonely. And uh, loneliness pervades our culture, Christian, non-Christian alike. Uh, people long to be known. And so the question becomes, uh, can the church be a spot that is working against that, that is helping uh, cure that loneliness. And I think what we're seeing here is people are saying, yeah, my church does do that to some degree. The question becomes, what is the fruit of those relationships? And I think that's where it starts to break down a little bit here. Like, are those relationships, do they have a discipleship element to put it another way? Are they helping me become formed for help forming me to be more like Jesus? Or are we looking for opportunities to share Jesus with other people? And that's where the statistics kind of say, you know what, we're, we're not we're not doing a great job as churches. Which, again, uh, to be fair or to play the other side or I don't, I'm trying not to say devil's advocate because I don't want to advocate for the devil. But, but uh, yes. in general, though, there I, I think I think sometimes this trend is an understandable reaction to not want to treat people like projects, you know, mm-hmm. to not like, hey, it's about uh, moving you down this road or moving the needle in your life. Like, I think we can desire these things for people and sometimes go about them in really like mechanistic ways yep. that feel very like, oh, the only reason you're talking to me is to evangelize to me. Yeah. Or the only reason you're making time for me is so you can, quote unquote, disciple me. Like, I think those are good cautions. Um, but it does feel a little bit like the pendulum has gone too far the other yep. direction. Some of these stats talk about even how infrequently Christ followers even pray for opportunities, which yes. I found that actually to be almost more convicting than anything else. It's not just that it is or isn't happening, but it's like, oh, we don't even see a value for it enough to pray for it, um, which, I, you know, I'll turn it on myself. I was convicted yep. by some of those statistics. Yep. Sometimes even in the work of being a pastor— you you can get so caught in the weeds of doing pastoral things that some of these other things can suffer. And we've talked even about <laughs> sort of the embarrassing um, skittishness we feel in even telling yeah. strangers we're pastors. Yep. Like, what is that? That is, at its base, um, one, embarrassing. But two, it is us veering away from opportunities to evangelize. Yeah. So to do that in a way that is authentic and honest, um, I think is really... It's, that's hard to master, and there are few, there are very few examples where I've seen it done well. To be honest, yeah. so yeah. how do we how do we get better? You know, I think we model it, like you said, and I do think there are some systems. People are not necessary. Some people do this, but very few people go are have the ability to take a 
a kind of shallow relationship or even a growing relationship and change and and move it in the direction of a of a relationship that's helping me grow in my faith and asking the hard questions and this and that. And so I do think it's on the church to give some tools to help that happen and to paint a picture as to like, here's why that's important. The evangelism one for me is a little different because that's now, that's no longer talking about the relationships within your church. And I do think that's true that this prayer element is a convicting one because Jesus says, pray uh, for the harvest, right? Pray that he'd send out workers. And then he's, you know, like kind of implied in that is you are the worker. (laughs) And he does more than imply. Good point. Uh, (laughs) But then raising it to a level of prayer, raising it to that level, I think is really powerful uh, and then, you know, you always say it really well, and I forget exactly how I say it, but what we celebrate is, go for it. What? I don't know what you're saying. Come on. It's your line always. <laughs> it's my line. And what we celebrate is what we replicate, what we do. Oh, that's even better. I think I say what's rewarded is repeated. There it is. <laughs> there it is. How about what is celebrated is what is replicated? Yes. <laughs> so, so many more syllables. So are we only celebrating? What are we celebrating as a church? You're right. What are we say? Are we holding up people? Uh, and by celebrating, I mean, are we telling the stories of people uh, who have who are doing this kind of discipleship within the church right. and helping them see, oh, this isn't a crazy thing. I know that person. Are we celebrating and telling the stories of people who have even attempted to share their faith and it didn't go well? Like, right? Yeah, they froze and it was hard. Are we praying within our body for the opportunity within our church for the opportunities to share these kind of things? Right. Like it's. Yeah. Are we giving easy mechanisms to do it? I think there's things that we as churches can do to get a couple wins that will then grow a culture. And in, uh, just to say it out loud, uh, I know that some of you may be thinking like, oh, it's those darn millennials. It's the Gen Z. It's not, it's not true in terms yeah. of age. Those 65 and older were the least likely to have discussed their faith with others. And the two other statistics you touched on it that really kind of uh, have me a little shaken is 27% uh, rarely or never – uh, personally pray for opportunities, which I think then corresponds mm. with uh, less than half, 48%, said that they intentionally spend time with other believers to help them grow in their faith. So there, there is a, a level of intentionality that I think is um, is is missing. And I and I don't want to so elevate, like, oh, if we just prayed more, right. it fixes itself. I think all of your, your call and charge for mechanisms, for systems, for structures is really, really important. But without the prayer piece... I, I don't know that our heart is formed in the ways of Jesus that implement those practices well. I think you can be a church that with high efficiency yes. and maybe even high success can implement tactics. But if we don't actually have a heart for the people, whether it's people inside our church or we're discipling and walking alongside of or those outside the church that we're just caring for and spending time with, yes. without the right heart posture, all of that is pharisaic. It, yeah, it, good. Is, it is legalism at best, and we might do it with a smile on our face, and we may even like enjoy, you know, the quote unquote results of a growing church yep. numerically, yep. or all that stuff can create a happy feeling. Yep. But I think it has to go deeper than that. It has it, to go deeper than implementation. And it's not just about the church. Like if you're listening there and you uh, you feel no motivation uh, to talk about your faith, to help other people grow, to have people in your life helping you grow. Uh, to love your neighbor and these kind of things. I think you need to look inward a little bit and be like, well, what's, what's, uh, what am I not grasping in my faith? What is, there, there's a little bit of self-motivation here because it's, the answer is not that we're all busy. We are all busy, uh, but we're also lonely. People want to be known. Uh, it, 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 there, there needs to be a little bit of self-reflection in all of us on yeah. this. This isn't just about church systems. Yeah, I totally agree. This, this is, I'll just 
end with this one because this one's like a punch in the stomach. Um, many Christians have not had an evangelistic conversation, but the study found that over half, 55%, had invited a non-Christian to a church service or act uh, or activity in the last year. So, so we're seeing, I think, um, a willingness to some degree to make the invite. And that's kind of why I think I want to end with this one, because I think so often these discussions, especially if you if you didn't go to seminary or have mm-hmm. a Bible degree, like evangelism, discipleship, I don't know how to do any of those things. Like, okay, so maybe it just starts with, maybe if the only thing that you hear is us say, pray for the people in your sphere of influence and yeah. in your life and make the ask. Mm. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to cross every T and dot every I. Like, hey, this community has been really formative for me over the last five years, and I would love for you to be a part of it. Yes. Would you join me next Sunday? Like, yeah. that's all That's all it needs to be. And I think, one, I think people will be really honored. But I think, two, the other thing is that when we actually do it, we'll realize it's not actually as scary mm. as I think we often make it out to be. Absolutely. Which I think is really, really important. Well, you've been listening to The Common Good right here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Okay, I just gotta be honest. I hate that song. Do you? <laughs> I re- do you? Do you know the song? I do, but you're gonna ask me who it's by, and I don't remember. I think oh, actually you asked me the other day. I did, didn't I? <laughs> Third Eye Blind. No. Oh, close though. I want to give it to you. Give this, me a hint. This was a uh, one is a substance, and the second is a name. That doesn't help. Substance. <laughs> That's, that sounds shady, right? Okay. Heroin Bob. Oh, I was gonna no. say, cocaine Jim. <laughs> Why do both of us go right to hard drugs when the word substance is used? This is our last show, isn't it? This is, this is it for us. This has been the so common it's good. It's like Third Eye Blind. Don't tell me yet. We're going to keep, we're going to move ahead here. Uh, if nobody else cares, I'm so entertained. Yep. Okay, so before we dive in this next story, which does involve money, I want to talk in general just about our own money, and we actually, for the last couple of weeks, have had uh, a couple of guys from Food for the Poor in our studios, and one of the things that I was sharing with you about how convicting it is to, like, go to a third world country and then to come back and, like, open your fridge, and you're like, wow, that's the same fridge that a week ago I was complaining that there's nothing to eat in my house, and something about, like, being on the ground and, like, seeing yeah. people in real, real need, which is why I love that we partner with organizations like Food for the Poor. In fact, uh, you can go to our website right now, um, click the image. We are calling everybody to hit pause on whatever you're doing yes. uh, to to partner with us. It's not just a donation. Partner with us to not just change lives, but save lives. So for 80 bucks, it's food for a year, water for life. We're encouraging people to kind of take on a whole family, uh, maybe do it as a small group, do it as a community, do it as a church, whatever you need to do, 1160hope.com. Uh, you'll see the image there, and uh, we would love for you to join us in literally saving the lives of mm. families in Haiti where the need is so, so, so high. Yeah. And so I mentioned we're going to talk a little bit about money, which, uh, again, is uh, way over our pay grade. Um, but uh, I don't know if you've read this anywhere. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez says the Bible backs up her plan to cap credit card interest rates at 15%. Um, just anecdotally, you think that's a good idea? I, uh, using the Bible to, I think she's being very sarcastic here. <laughs> oh, you do. But let's I, just jump off there. Then why do you think that? You can. She can believe this. I, so I'm not suggesting, but she she writes, uh, looking forward to having the religious right uphold their principles and sign on to my bill. Of course, unless of course they're only invoking religion to p- punish women and queer people. Okay, so that feels a little sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> the, the sarcasm is, I think she's trying to make a point. I get it. She is a trying to make a point and B she's likes to stir the pot. And, um, 
And so I don't know enough about credit card interest rates. I do know that the Pope came out and said, how do you say the word usury? Usury? Usury, yeah. Uh, which is uh, another word for high interest. He said that that it humiliates and kills is a grave sin. It kills life and stomps on human dignity, promotes corruption, and sets up obstacles to the common Common good. good. (laughs) (laughs) So that came from Pope Francis. But honestly, we could have a business guy on. I don't don't know enough. I do know that uh, in a little bit of her sarcasm and ridiculousness, I don't think this is why she did it. But to me, it highlights some of the some of the dangerous ways that people use the Bible Hmm. and that they go, well, this is something that I like. So I'm going to go find what the Bible says about that. This is something I don't like. So I'm going to ignore what the Bible says about that. To me, this highlights a bigger issue of picking and choosing uh, what, what the Bible says and what it doesn't. So uh, the Bible doesn't speak uh, obviously, or maybe not obviously specifically to the 15%, right? So it does feel a little looser of a connection, like, oh, the Bible backs up what I'm saying. Um, that may be a reach, but I do, I don't know why I find this tactic interesting, though, because she is, and again, she can be, like all politicians, I don't mean yep. to you know, single her out, they can all be inflammatory to some degree, right? But does she have an interesting point, though, when addressing a political party that does tend to use the Bible a lot uh, to sort of shore up their politics is is it a little bit of their own medicine is is she being snarky in an unhelpful unhelpful way like how do you how do you read uh, in general her like tone and posture and can you get past that if you think she's right uh so i think she's being snarky and sarcastic but that doesn't mean that it shouldn't be challenging to people who do hold right. the bible to be what we say we hold it to be like i mean if she was just bluntly if she was that concerned about exactly what the bible had to say then that would enter into her conversation about about abortion, and she'd go with that as well. Um, but what does the Bible say about abortion? I would about the um, you know I, I'm not saying that she couldn't speak it away, but I would say talking about uh, the dignity of human life and when conception comes. My point is she'd be wrestling with texts, not just saying the Bible says this. Her sarcasm aside, I would say, I do think to answer your question, I think it does raise the questions that that people who believe in the Bible need to say, well, what does the Bible say about economic policy and how does that match up with my policy? Uh, Whether it be interest rates or whether it be the poor, whether it be taxes, whether it be whatever. Uh, My point is a lot of time when it comes to politics, we use the Bible to drive what we think are our social things, but not allow it to drive our economic things. And uh, I do think, right, sometimes people who don't hold your beliefs can hold a mirror up to you and cause you to feel Oh, I do need to wrestle with that. I think that's what she does here. Um, And so I do think that uh, a lot of people that I know who vote for certain ways, uh, when I hear them talk about the Bible, it's usually exclusively along social issues. Rarely is it around economic issues. Economic issues, we tend to talk of about what's going to help me. Oh, interesting. (laughs) And what's going to move. Again, painting with a broad brush. If some of you are mad out there because that's not how you think, that's fine. Like, I understand that. But painting with a broad brush, I would say, a lot of us, when we talk about economic policy, it's not how does this economic policy affect the least of these. It's often how does this economic policy affect me? Yeah, or my bottom uh, line. Whereas we don't really do that with social issues. We More with social issues, we'll say, well, here's what the Bible says in my – and again, we have to debate about what the Bible says about X, Y, or Z. But we'll say we often invoke the Bible to social issues and what would happen if we invoke the Bible across the board to – 
uh, include economic issues. Well, I, I want to read Pope Francis's quote again because I think it does punctuate uh, a lot of what you're saying. And I will admit that I, I don't often think of social justice, at least in these terms. And just as a reminder, so the word usury means the lending or practice of lending money at an exorbitant interest. That's, that's the definition. And here's what he said. Usury uh, humiliates and kills. Usury is a grave sin. It kills life, stomps on human dignity, promotes corruption, and sets up obstacles to the common good. Hmm. Now, some people listening love Pope Francis. Other people discredit it immediately when I said Pope Francis. That's fine. I just think that kind of wherewithal, or maybe I'll, maybe I'll say it this way, the fact that I haven't given that much thought does show some of my privilege. Hmm. You know what I mean? Now, I'm not saying I like uh, we're in Illinois. We're very aware of some of the prices of things and owning property right. and real estate. And like there's a reason that people are uh, jumping ship in Illinois. I totally understand that. And you've mentioned it before. Uh, this is a bit ab- above our pay grade in terms yep. of in terms of experience and expertise. But I, th- I think that there is something interesting. And you might you might really not like Ocasio-Cortez. That's fine yep. for any list of reasons, policies, personal, whatever. There, There is something to be said about the Bible illuminates things that sometimes are easy for us to overlook. For example, uh, you and I talked a couple of weeks ago, I think, about how, how easy it has become to rail on alcoholism, mm-hmm. but to never talk about gluttony. Right. Alcoholism has been the thing that we're like, yeah, we got to down with alcoholism. And again, <laughs> I'm, I'm not pro-alcoholism, but it does feel like greed mm-hmm. or gluttony are the ones that get a pass. Yeah. For, for whatever reason. Yeah. So for her to kind of go after and say, hey, the Bible actually does speak to this as well. And sometimes we perpetuate these practices that kind of stand in opposition to the book that you are often holding up as the way yeah. that we're to live our lives. Yeah. And so my takeaway is exactly what you just said. Uh, my takeaway for people is not about high interest rates or this or that. My takeaway is when, if you're one of these people out there who is going to use the Bible as the foundation for how you think policy should be made and how things should be run and the laws of the land, just be consistent about it. Yeah. Allow it to inform not just your social policies, but it's got to inform your economic policies. Uh, and it's got to inform your political policy, all your policies. And don't pick and choose uh, what you allow the Bible to inform. If you're going to be Bible people, be Bible people through and through, and then allow that to drive who you support how you vote and things like that. Yeah, that's good. All right, so coming up next, we're going to, what we do is land the plane. Mm-hmm. And I can't get away from that metaphor. I love it. With just some interweb insanity, some stuff that we didn't find, our executive producer found. We're going to read Sight Unseen. But before we do that, I believe my friend Brian Fromm has a word for y'all. I do. Greg Laurie, Phil Wickham, Lecrae for King and Country, Ian Simpkins. I'll be there. <laughs> no, you nah, won't. I won't be. <laughs> you could win the chance to see them all live this August. Just enter to win now at 1160hope.com slash contest. We're giving away a trip. We are? You and I? Yeah, it's coming out of our pockets. Nope. We, the station, are giving away a trip for two to SoCal Harvest 2019 in Anaheim, including airfare, hotel, and a $700 Visa gift card. A free copy of Greg Laurie and Ellen Vaughn's book, Jesus Revolution, is yours just for entering. So register now at 1160hope.com slash contest. You really did that one with gusto, man. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, about <laughs> that today. He's like standing on the desk right yes. now. Everybody. He is celebrating that read. About <laughs> well, stick around. Coming up next, we're going to land the plane with some interweb insanity. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. 
Hey everybody, welcome back to The Common Good. My name, Ian Michael Simpkins. Your name, Brian Jimmy James. Fromm. Brian uh, Jimmy Fromm. That's for it. We'll go for it. <laughs> the way you started, it felt like you should have like a drink in your hand. Hey everybody. Maybe a pipe. Just like... <laughs> Hey, everybody. Just a, a wall of important books behind me. I'm wearing a robe for some reason. <laughs> Which you kind of close. Gosh, this segment got weird You're quick. You're close. Oh, You're boy. close. Hi, apologies <laughs> to everybody, including you, Brian Jimmy Fromm. Uh, you can find us on Facebook if you want to. I don't know why you would at this point. The Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com. No one's, no one's listening at this point. <laughs> this no one's or, they're, or they're calling their friends like, hey, turn on the radio. These nut jobs are on again. Uh, okay, so for a couple of months now, we've been ending every show with interweb insanity. And Craziness. Keith Conrad, our executive producer, finds the stories. He, it's. I wish you guys could see the smirk on his face, by the way, when he like delivers them to us. Oh, yeah. Because we don't see them. They're face down on the desk, and he's loaded the computer full of sound effects that we've not heard. So we're going to read them sight unseen. If you're offended, I don't know what to tell you. It's on him. It's all It's all on Keith Conrad. Uh, we're passing the buck, and Brian Fromm is going to kick us off. Illinois. <laughs> Illinois. Hostess selling... Hostess is selling ding-dong and Twinkie-flavored coffee. Hey, who are you calling a ding-dong? If you're a fan of Hostess ding-dongs, Twinkies, snowballs, and honey buns, rejoice! You can now <laughs> sip those sweet treats in coffee form because of Hostess-branded K-Cups are now available in select stores. The new K-Cups come in packs of 12 for individual Ooh. flavors as well as 72 for variety. The Hostess coffees can currently be found at Blaine's Farm and Fleet, which has 41 stores across Illinois, Iowa, Michigan, Wisconsin, and at Rural King. Uh, sorry, Hostess superfan. No cupcake or ho-ho flavors are available now, but come on. Ding-dongs are pretty close. Tell them about the Twinkie. What about the Twinkie? <laughs> I think your inflection for that story is I'm going my it. favorite I've ever heard you do <laughs> for anything. Connecticut! Don't. Okay. <laughs> I'm so angry right now. <laughs> Woman assaults KFC manager for ghosting her job application. Oh, boy. Wow. Not the best way to land a job. A Connecticut woman got so steamed when her job application to Kentucky Fried Chicken was ignored, she conked a manager on the head with a metal pipe. <laughs> a conk doesn't sound so bad, though. Yeah, conk sounds comical, right? Yeah. This is assault. This is yeah. legitimate uh, crime. Okay, the bizarre brawl began when Kariels Ayala, I was not even close on that, called the fast food joint in Bridgeport to complain that she'd submitted a resume but hadn't gotten a call back. Police told the Connecticut Post later she stormed the restaurant and literally took a swing at 45-year-old manager, oh boy, Bag- Bagmati Persuad, who fought back by throwing a container of scalding water at her on May 3rd, according to the outlet. Chicken nuggets is like my family. <laughs> at KFC, if, if they are... Uh... If they're convicted, they should be fried. Oh, Brian. Iowa. <laughs> I'm just going to leave. You can do the rest of the show. Teen looking for arrowheads finds prehistoric mastodon jaw instead. I played bass in mastodon jaw. <laughs> Teen searching for arrowheads in southern Iowa found something much bigger. The prehistoric jawbone of a mastodon. That's pretty crazy. The Iowa City Press Citizen reports that a 30-inch jaw, bo- uh, 30-inch bone belonged to a juvenile mastodon, an elephant-like animal believed to have roamed Iowa some 34,000 years ago. Officials with the University of Iowa Paleontology Repository, which now has possession of the bone, say the mastodon might have stood around seven feet tall. I'm not fat. It's all that's fur. It makes me look poofy. All right, you have fat hair. Would you have returned it immediately? Like, do you have to? Or could you have, like, negotiated a little bit? I think you might be a klepto, man. Like, no, you're... you found it. <laughs> Find your keepers. 
I found it. I, What's I, it worth to you, Iowa? I think, I think the real slogan of Four Corners Community Church in Darren is, Finders Keepers! <laughs> <laughs> I found Feels it. Feels like a good one to I'm me. I'm so worried about you. Okay, this was out of France. Uh, mechanic copies neighbor's license plate to saddle him with speeding fines. <laughs> oh, boy. That's good. A notable neighborhood uh, fight in the southwestern French department of Landis, Land Landaz. A vengeful garage mechanic copied the license plate of his neighbor to saddle him with speeding fines. The garage mechanic was sentenced yesterday to two months in jail and to pay a fine of 400 euros, which is made up money. Uh, his, drive- his driving license has been withdrawn for three months. Bravo! That'll be hard to top. I pity the next tale of interest. <laughs> Last one. Thank it, the Lord. Ohio man <laughs> threatens to kill Pizza Hut manager over pepperoni. Uh, it's frustrating when a fast food restaurant gets your order wrong. The KFC uh, in Kalamazoo has was tested by loyalty on every visit, but I don't pull a... Oh, okay, this, birth, this is the author writing. Okay. <laughs> a Pizza Hut manager in Cleveland Heights had a rough day recently when a customer called complaining about the lack of pepperoni on his pizza. The 31-year-old man then came to the restaurant to escalate his complaint, according mm. to Cleveland.com. The customer, James McDonald, argued with the... Ma- Sorry, that was inappropriate. <laughs> Oh dear. Argued with the manager that stated that he would come around the counter <laughs> Ooh, and kill the manager, but he didn't want to be charged with robbery. Oh, God. Customer left the store, went to the rear of the car, and appeared to take something out of the auto. Luckily, no one was hurt. The suspect was arrested after police watched security footage of the incident about his pepperoni. We're gonna make a run to McDee's. You want a quarter pounder or something? Oh, no way! Hey, wait, you guys can't go now. It's the best part. I called the pizza dude. All right. I said it earlier, but Brian Fromm, it's been really great <laughs> being on the show with you. Uh, I wish you future success in all of your endeavors. and um, Much appreciated. <laughs> I'll be back tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, that's the sound of security opening the door to the studio. And uh, <laughs> we'll see you in the news. Uh, This has been a good day. Hope you join us tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. at The Common Good right here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.